Reconstructionist Radio presents The War Room, where we discuss tactics for strategic Christian living. Mighty Lord, extend your kingdom, be the truth with morning and welcome to the war room this is bill evans your host i'm in the home of pastor phil and his wife kathy kaiser in omaha nebraska in really a luxurious homey uh labrie type environment in the center of the heartland <clears throat> large rambling nine bedroom home built uh near the turn of the century and that's the last that's the 19th century um and uh, so welcome. Uh, thank you for having me in your home and for agreeing to join us again on The War Room. Thank you. Thank you very much. Our delight to have you with us. This is the first time we've had both husband and wife on, I think. Uh, this is much nicer uh, than the last time we uh, we met. We first met and we interviewed in the front seat of your your truck, and it was uh, hot, and, and, and this is very luxurious, and and we've got Ruger here snooping around, making sure there's no cats, because <laughs> Phil, Phil uh, uh, shared with us that he's allergic to cats, so Ruger is on the perimeter keeping Amen. him safe. Amen. <laughs> keeping me out of trouble. <laughs> but anyway, we've been, we've been and had, we had a wonderful little breakfast here and uh, and some coffee and fellowship. And we've been just talking, and, and we were just before we decided to go ahead and turn this into an episode, uh, we were just commenting about, at least in my case, and I think the Kaisers confirmed it, that, that people who have a vision of the kingdom of God, and I, I even like to say specifically Christ's kingdom, Mm-hmm. Uh, I know it's the kingdom of God, but I think when I say the kingdom of Christ, kingdom, it to my, I don't know, for some reason it personalizes it more for me, perhaps because I'm united with Christ. But when we have a vision for that, and and specifically, I think it's a vision that's tied to gospel victory. Uh, right. We we don't ever tire of talking about our King. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. And his and his and his exploits and his conquests. Yep. And I would distinguish between the kingdom of God, which is never grows, it's always here, it's been here from the beginning to the end, and Christ's mediatorial kingdom, which started in the first century and grows nonstop, and we're a part of that. And we've got to be excited about the expansion of Christ's mediatorial kingdom. You can't expand the kingdom of God. But the mediatorial kingdom, we are a major part of uh, promoting and advancing it. There's a group of people that we're talking about recently about would you relocate to be a part of a Reconstructionist church plant? I, I, I think it probably for these the people asking these questions and participating in these kinds of discussions, they're not talking about Sunday worship. They're talking about a Christian social order. Mm-hmm. They're talking about a 
a, a number of families and single individuals that live in community with one another, not in a socialist commune type, but in close working relationship with one another, where they're in reasonably close geographic proximity to one another, and they share each other's burdens and joys and tasks and help each other move and, 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 and serve together and go out and minister to the community together, and, and, and so that they, and two are certainly better than one, and that not only goes for individuals, it probably goes for families. Right. And one of the most common realities that I, I discover uh, is families who are living in a essentially a, a wasteland by themselves they're attending a small dispensational or a, mar a marginally reformed congregation maybe a PCA or reformed Baptist but uh, in which they are not free and welcome to uh, really implement their vision for uh, dominion living and so the question is is what would it look like if these families uh, in many cases some were self-employed some were they may be limited by by occupation. You know, there are, are health care where they have they live in an area. Of course, Obamacare is quickly removing that that restriction because people's health care is going through the roof everywhere. So they won't stay in one place to keep what they've got. They won't be able to afford to keep what they've got. But in terms of your setup here, and I've never been to your congregation on the Lord's Day. I've never been there when you gather together. I hope to do that, but. <clears throat> this, you mentioned that in your home, and it's spacious and very warm and beautiful, and it's clearly of the Lord. I mean, it, there's no question about that. And and I've been around Christian homes where the purpose of the home was ministry, and it was clear that's not where the pastor and his wife went to retreat from the world, and I've often mentioned, and I've learned this from my buddy Jack Campbell, is that, our, that for many families, their home is their most overlooked ministry tool. Amen. Amen. My, my wife and I have both always been passionate about hospitality and have tried to get every person in our congregation to be passionate about hospitality, and um, I think we've, we've succeeded. She's fantastic at it. But um, well, we we uh, very purposely bought this nine-bedroom house in order to do a Labrie-type ministry. Um, God um, opened up very early on a ministry to international students. So since 1998, um, until a couple of years ago, we have been um, having three, four, or five internationals in our home at any one time. They were all business professionals, so their conversational English was good. Um, they were mostly businessmen or from government or they were government officials we've had quite a number of um, Muslims living in our home um, I can only think of a, a maybe a half dozen that were Christians all the other hundreds that we've had through here um, this was their first time hearing about Jesus in our home um, so and they are blown away by the hospitality, the love, they they share in everything. In our morning devotions, they don't have to, but they're just fascinated with how a family uh, looks. And so you get the whole covenant context of the gospel when they're actually living in your home. And they go away. I mean, we've had people from Japan just weeping, saying, we wish we could have something like that in Japan. Uh, where dads are actually involved in the home and they're <laughs> actually having a relationship with their kids 
And, uh, and you know, we always prayed that God would only send us the elect, even if they didn't come to Christ for 20 or more years, but that every, every student that lived in our home was handpicked by God to be here to hear the gospel from us first, and that we were just going to be one piece of the, of the puzzle of their whole life. So we always had this... And to see the gospel. And to see the gospel. Yes. Um, A picture is worth a thousand words. When it comes to Japanese men, most of our internationals were Japanese men. And in Japan, they're married to their jobs. And they do not see their value as a husband or father at all. And so we really try to role model that to them um, when they were here so that if they were to become Christians down the road, they already had a picture of what a godly husband and a godly father and a godly family look like. A picture's worth a thousand words. You know, you, sometimes you can't just read about it. You need to experience it. But as they were part of conversations as well, they would see that Christianity pervades, pervaded everything that we do. All of our discussions, the scriptures have a bearing on it. Economics, when we're talking about politics, when we're talking about what city council has just finished doing, we're talking about the scripture. And so they get a much fuller, and I've tried to encourage pastors and others to take advantage of the internationals that are here because many times they actually pay to live in your home. And it's a fantastic way of introducing them to American culture, but also to Christianity. That's what they want. They want to be exposed. Exactly. It's a much neglected mission field. Our favorite backdoor way of getting into the gospel was always through economics. And then we would get in, because they love the free market economics of the West. And so we... They love our stuff, right? (laughs) They see the fruits. We're telling the roots. (laughs) Right, exactly. So Phil always enjoyed getting through the back door of economics and then into biblical economics and then into God's law and then right into the gospel. I've seen this firsthand from from Jack. They minister at Clemson. And I've literally been in their at their dining room table where they would have no less than five or six doctorate level mm. pr- scholars from China yeah. in hard sciences. I mean, bioengineering, uh, physics, and they're all. In, most of them are atheists, pra- working atheists. We, uh, we're. I'm an atheist. We don't really believe in atheists, but they're, pra- but they're self-described as atheists and are Muslims. Mm-hmm. from the, the uh, Kazakhstan area of right. China. And they're sitting around, and we're talking about the Word of God. It's bearing on every area of life. I can remember, you know, uh, the, the kingdom of Christ without apology, and they're engaged. Right. And, and that's just a tremendous opportunity and forming real relationships. I sat across with Jack and myself listening to a brilliant young Russian scholar with his Ukrainian wife. He is an evolutionary scientist, been brought over here to teach evolution in the University of South Carolina. Mm. And we're sitting there and just using some of the the wonderful tools and approaches that we've learned from Dr. Jason Lyle, for instance, on irreducible complexity and various different, and and watching, and literally able, although we're both novices in the scientific world compared to this intellectual giant, just watching these broadsides demolishing his, his arguments, and 
he's engaged and, it, he's, and it's not in an alienating so, so I know the advantage and what's so amazing is that if we that, that God has arranged kindly arranged to bring the nations to us Amen. Amen. And, and that may be why God has relented in his judgment upon America because uh, we're a tool in his hand to reach the nations and he's bringing them to us Yes. And uh, so that's so amazing. Uh, and, and, and the cream of the crop. Oh, yes. yeah. The, yeah. These, the nations of the earth are bringing their finest, their best and brightest to us. Yes. And if they can come to Christ and actually gain a solid worldview and take it back to their countries, fantastic. I, I mean, we're within five minutes. The reason we moved here in 99 was we wanted to be within five minutes of the gates of the city, which is... Uh, City Hall and all of that, and within five minutes of all of the universities. So, five minute drive. We can, well, uh, we can even walk to two universities here. Well, I want to, I'm going to, I want to brainstorm with you on 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 the air here, and suggest two things that just come up because I'm an idea kind of guy. I was in marketing and sales and and all that before I learned how to hold a steering wheel. And uh, one is that on a university, like. The, universe, uh, the one you're located here, you're going to have most certainly at least two ministries present. Navigators mm-hmm. and Campus Crusade are what used to be called, I think it's called right. Crew now. Right. And most of these have a very two-dimensional biblical worldview. I mean, it's, it's, in fact, it's an unbiblical worldview because it is only two-dimensional. They understand their personal relationship with Christ and the need for uh, uh, the means of grace, you know, the word, prayer, fellowship, and witnessing. And they also understand the, the uh, essentiality of spiritual reproduction. But for many, of it's just like a dominoes. You, 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 you disciple this person so they can disciple that person so they can disciple the next person. It's like a spiritual chain letter. Yep. And since like produces like, it's always producing very uh, stunted Christians. Never building a social order, never constructing Christendom or anything that would even approximate it. In fact, they would even, and, and I've, I've spoken about this on other War Room podcasts, I've got a good friend, one of my closest friends, who's been on NAV staff since he, was, since he was a commander in the United States Navy. And in talking to John, John's a, a champion when it comes to uh, caring for people, laying his life down, you know, uh, re- you know the, the nuts and bolts of, of fellowship, of follow-up, of spiritual pediatrics and teaching the rudiments and and training, but he has no biblical worldview, a comprehensive worldview. In fact, he really doesn't even, he would, and, and I love him, and he's a, a godly man, and yet he does not really even agree, although uh, that Matthew 28, 19, 20 really involves teaching all that I've commanded. Right. Or, or that it, really discipling the nations really means anything more than gathering a few brands from the burning. Yeah. What does Christian nations mean? Making disciples of nations is Christian nations. So what I would submit to you is that you've got young men and women here who are serious young disciples of Jesus Christ, but they will remain stunted in their navigator ministry and in their local, most of these people, they'll find some local fellowship or church off campus or they'll just meet with NAV staff. But it, their, their growth will be stunted. They cannot get any more mature than they already are. And yet these people are looking for presumably Christian housing. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? Um, one of the things I do appreciate about the NAV ministries is their emphasis of memorizing scriptures very systematically and prayer. And it's one of the thing, two of the things that are lacking sometimes in, in our Absolutely. Church. I mean, there's not enough prayer. There's not enough memorization of scripture. Of, of any discipline, uh, any discipline, any two disciplines that a person can acquire and master and really build into their character. Pound for pound, scripture memory is the most valuable, yeah. and then and of course prayer uh, is the air. It's supposed to be the air we breathe. Especially when you get into debates, I mean, you don't have time to open up your Bible and quickly flip to it. If you can get those scriptures out just like well, that. Well, I, I, you know, my person in my personal testimony, we talked about confessing sins earlier, but you know, I went through a period of of, of nearly two decades of rebellion where I was in the wilderness. Uh, and I won't go. I won't say any more. That's all I've got to say about that. As 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 uh, Forrest Gump said, but <laughs> but it was the mem- it was the scripture hidden in my heart mm-hmm. as a young sailor involved in the navigator ministry mm-hmm. that saw me through that. Mm-hmm. Amen. That's what God. Those were the the nails that God hung his his safety net on right. to keep right. me from slipping away and uh, brought would me back. You, would you say prayer is one of the the, the major issues that needs to be shored up in Reconstructionist uh, circles? Well, you know this is a hot button for me. We were talking about it earlier, and, 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 and I made this analogy, simple analogy, and I'd love you to elaborate on it, that short of persecution, because misery loves company, persecution brings people together. Mm-hmm. And many of us have secretly been, or maybe not so secretly, been saying and praying that God would bring persecution on His, on His disobedient people right. in America because uh, we need discipline, and we know we need discipline. Uh, I, I think that's probably as parents, you know, that there have been times when your children actually came looking for discipline. They knew they needed it. And what a touching thing that is when the child is broken, right. and you can see that they're coming to you contrite and they're asking mom dad I need to be disciplined or I need I I did something wrong and they're coming to you acknowledging because they know that they need to to receive discipline we know that God's people here I mean needs discipline and God wisely gives it as we need it and and and, but short of persecution there's nothing that builds camaraderie and forges lifelong relationships like combat yes Yes. Uh, those in the military know this who've served, especially intercessory prayer, especially prayer for others, uh, 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 persistent prayer, intelligent prayer, fervent prayer prayer is spiritual warfare. It's amazing that when you set yourself to begin praying for other people, how many things you'll remember that you were supposed to do. Right. Right. And the distraction... Uh, pumps get going, yep. and and uh, and and your mind is taken. It's like you're. It, it's like you're trying to keep uh, a a, chi- a child's mind on their homework when there's uh, heavy equipment operating outside the window. It's it, it, the distractions are almost overwhelming, and so sp- prayer is is warfare. Intercessory prayer, and, and and I'm sorry, and I love these men, and and I don't know what their private prayer lives are like, but how many uh, corporate times of intercession, and in, in, have we heard where the pastors up there, basically God bless so and so, God bless such and such, and they're just basically God bless, God bless, God bless, God bless, God bless, are 
And I said, that's not intelligent praying. It seems to me that intelligent praying according to the Spirit would be applying the particular promises of God to the particular needs of the moment. Amen. In fact, you're, if you're not claiming those promises, you're not praying according to the will of God. Some people think praying according to the will of God means trying to second-guess what his decretive will is. He's talking about claiming Scripture. You look at all of the prayers of the Scripture, Daniel's prayer, for example. He's constantly claiming God's attributes, God's commandments, God's promises. And when you do that, it lifts your faith and enables you to begin praying in a fervent way with expectation that God will answer. For instance, our little online ministry, Rico, Instructionist Radio, we are praying uh, for each other and for the ministry and that God will, will, ble- will use it and, and glorify himself in, in the lives of people through it. But there's another issue for Reconstructionists because, because of the knowledge. Uh, there are, we have a lot of really bright men and women mm. who are... Uh, that we know, that are affiliated with us in one way or the other through these loose associations. Uh, we may have never met them, we've read them, we've interacted with them online, uh, and as we know that knowledge puffs up. Mm-hmm. And uh, I talked about this before, we were before off the mic, that um, there's nothing that humbles a, a man or woman like confessing their sins. And right. so part of what needs to go on, I think, for us to be galvanized into a an effective fighting force, a, a, a force, you know, a, a, a culture-transforming force is confession of sins to one another, praying for one another, because that keeps everyone broken and humble and in their proper place. Uh, it also, um, it is inter- and also intercession with one another together, uh, concerted, intelligent, Thoughtful. You can't know what a person needs if they don't tell you what they need. Right. Now, I can make certain assumptions that are c- common to all everybody, but if I don't talk to you and say, what can we be praying for you, and realizing that the value of prayer, and I learned this so much from the Valley of Vision, mm-hmm. the value of prayer is not how it makes us feel after we've prayed. Right. Or the medicinal quality of the words. It's like sort of we're not engaged in in, in esoteric therapeutic self coaching. Right. You know, the value is that that God that the God of the universe is listening. He's present and he's answering according to his will. And we're not, one of the best Puritan quotes I ever g- gleaned was that we're not the purpose is not to overcome God's reluctance, but to lay hold of his willingness. The most powerful image in my mind, Phil's got a sermon on it, is God in his courtroom in heaven. And the saints are the witnesses that are bringing their eyewitness account up to God's courtroom. And God is the judge. And... um, Jesus is an attorney, and, you know, we're bringing our petitions to a courtroom, and we're asking for justice on earth, and God has got his, his arm waiting for the prayers to arise up to, up to the heavenly courtroom, and God will then be the judge, and he will send forth his warrior angels and his messenger angels to accomplish what he... Um, and you can't called. even do that. I mean, you can't go to a court here 
and just say, would you give a judgment on my behalf? And they said, no, you got you got to actually bring an accusation. you got to have witnesses. You've got to gather together with all of the evidence and ask God then to open his books and judge according to the law of God. You can appeal to the law for restitution. I don't know if you've ever been robbed or things taken away from you. I think you can ask for restitution from Satan's kingdom back into your own kingdom and say, Lord, uh, for example, we, we, we do this with regard to people who are being killed in, in, in India. Uh, and we use the analogy of sheep. Four sheep, restitution, five bulls. For every pastor that is killed in India, we get those groups praying, Lord, your law in the New Testament likens that to a pastor. And we're asking for every pastor that is killed, we want restitution, you to raise From up Satan. five more pastors. For every sheep, for every Christian that is killed, we want you to raise up four new sheep, four new Christians. And uh, people don't even think in terms of court procedures and uh, the jurisdiction of the court and, and how all of that functions. But that is one kind of prayer. There's many kinds of prayers, obviously, but that's one kind of prayer that I just don't see happening that much. And when I've seen it happening, I've seen God's immediate justice being given, immediate justice. You know, in the importunate widow, um, Jesus said that uh, that unjust judge was very slow, but he eventually gave justice. He contrasted that unjust judge with God the Father, and he said, will he not give justice? I tell you, he will give it speedily. Nevertheless, when he comes, will there be faith on the earth? Is there faith to take it to the court of heaven? I just had a thought. <clears throat> oftentimes when we pray, we oftentimes use the term if the Lord wills, as a caveat instead of as a guarantee. Right, right, right. Amen. But many times it's a killer of faith. The way we pray kills our faith. So God's not going to answer. <laughs> because what's the condition? We've got to pray according to his will, which is the word. And we've got to pray in faith. We've got to believe his word that he really will come through when he's promised. So I think a lot of times our, our prayers actually do the reverse of what we had intended to do. What's our focus many times when we pray? Our focus is on the problem, not on the greatness of God, not on his promises. When you focus right, it elevates faith within you. When you're focused on the problem and complaining to God and grumbling, what, what does God always say about grumblers? He, he judges them. He doesn't listen to their prayers. So our prayers must not focus on the problems. Obviously, we're presenting the problem, but we're presenting it with our face to the one who loves to give justice. He waits to give justice. But until we bring it to the courtroom of heaven, he's not going to do so. So one of the things that I always try to get people to do is make sure you craft your prayers according to the scriptures because that is what is going to generate faith. You can't generate faith on your own. How do you generate faith? You can't. God generates faith, but he does it as we use his scriptures yeah. in his courtroom. Yeah, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of yeah. God. And that is probably, as you mentioned, uh, that's one of the greatest advantages of scripture memory is that it's, they're like loaded prayer magazines. Amen. Amen. You, you can't fire rounds if you've got empty mags. Yep. And, <laughs> and, and so... Um, and in witnessing, of course, it's beneficial right. witnessing, but I think I, I, you use a certain narrower range of passages usually as you're witnessing to people. Obviously, if you're getting into 
full orb worldview discussions, you're you're dealing with apologetics and you're bringing in a, a wider range of scripture. But in terms of the promises of God, I, I've always I like that as many as are the promises of God right. in Him. That means in Christ, the answer is yes. Right. Wherefore by Him, we make our amen. Back to back to the question: Is that lacking? I I, I don't want to doubt the piety of or the individuals, but I know for myself, I have a lot of free time, and uh, I, I you know the idea of praying without ceasing. I I, I think that's supposed to be a. a I mean, obviously, is it a command? Is it an admonition? Is it an exhortation? Is it a promise or is it a judgment? Well, more often than not, for me, it's a judgment because, you know, sometimes praying, if I'm by myself, staying on on mission is very difficult. Mm -hmm. If I'm with other people, Right. It's not. That, and I was talking with Derek Evans the other day. I said, you know, the uh, the same way with I'm the same way, same way with 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 with, van, with witnessing. You know, we let opportunities as much as we desire and train and prepare ourselves and coach ourselves to be instant in season and out of season. We let all types of providential opportunities pass by because we're either distracted, busy, tired, or on, we're are in the process of doing something else that we perceive as being more important when we let these opportunities go by and. Uh, and, and so I said, the solution to all these things, two are better than one. Right. They have a good return for their labor. If one falls, the other lifts up his companion. So right. the one is fortified that prompts us. But Jesus gave us the the uh, the anecdote to that. Don't do any kingdom activity by yourself unless you're, right. obviously there's times when you're alone and providentially uh, Opportunities are to serve are will will present themselves to you, but ideally everything we do should be a teaching opportunity. Sure. And so we want to be bringing, you know, every Paul has a Timothy, every Timothy has a Paul. And I, I was talking to Derek, Derek the other day. I said, you know, the the two questions we ask most often in the NAS, what's your latest verse and where's your man? Right. In other words, who are you bringing along? And who, if you're painting a fence, mowing the grass, washing dishes, uh, running an errand, hey, you want to go along with me? Because those, because that takes a simple errand into a greater likelihood that kingdom discussion, strategizing, witnessing, our prayer will result. Right. And when Christ uh, told us to pray privately in the closet, he was not saying we can't pray publicly. He prayed publicly. But he's saying this is a test of where our hearts really are at. If we never pray privately, it's very likely that uh, we are prideful people. Uh, prayerlessness is probably the greatest symptom of pride uh, because we think we can do it on our own. We think we don't really need the Lord's uh, help. And so prideful people can pray in public because of peer pressure. But you'll have humble people who will pray in public as well and that the test of whether we're really coming to the Lord is are we able to pray in private and so it's a testimony of how prideful my heart is because I struggle I struggle with private prayer I have to use techniques to force myself I have to pray out loud for example which actually I don't think is an unbiblical no, thing you I, know, I do too I don't think they ever prayed silently in their heads or rarely did in the Bible 
And so pacing back and forth, I'm an insomniac, so I have to pace, otherwise I'll fall asleep. <laughs> pacing back and forth, praying out loud are two techniques that help or me. You do you like to prayer walk the neighborhood. We did the prayer, prayer walk the that, yes. that was that, that was one of our old techniques in the navs and yeah. our in Bible colleges, the prayer walks. Yes. Yes. <clears throat> and, uh, and 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 I agree. I mean it's like praying out loud to my own ears. I'm not praying to myself, but it's keeping me on track. Yes. Now, here's the thing. Here was, as you were talking about pride, study, prayerlessness. Think about this. Uh, now, I want to dr- uh, visit this thought. Most people would think of, okay, I'm going to sit down and study and read for an hour. And so, I'm, you know, I'm gonna op- we're going to open in prayer. So we spend 30 seconds, a minute, two minutes in prayer, and then, in, you know, 30 minutes or an hour in study. Right, right. What would be the fruit if we reverse those? Yeah. We prayed for 30 minutes, right. and then we studied for five. We might find that our study was supercharged, and we were getting an hour's worth of study done. We were getting uh, that much nutrition, right. spiritual nutrition, out of our study because it was, ba- it was bathed in prayer, and our hearts and our minds, the fallow ground was completely yeah. broken up. Especially if we were praying in the power of the Spirit. Here's one really practical idea that individuals can do. Reading Facebook, every article you read, stop and pray about it before you move on to the next article. Just make that your prayer list. You know, whatever you happen to be reading. Some of us just need, our our technique would be to uh, drop our Facebook account and just pray. Yeah. It gives you very specific things, though, to pray about. Yes, I mean, that, that's, you know, the, the praying, praying without ceasing. Have you ever met anybody that could honestly testify that they did, that they had actually implemented, integrated, and perfected that as a lifestyle? Or what does it even mean? I, I've Phil, had times in my one. life. I've had, go ahead. You have um, a story of someone you went to China with. Oh, yeah. Uh, Dick Dungan. Uh, Rejoice Ministries, amazing. We were tag-teaming. I probably shouldn't say where we were, but we were tag-teaming together, and just like hand-in-glove, our ministry was great, but he kept me awake at all hours of the night because even at night he was singing, praying, and his face was just beaming. Even while he, was- he was praying day and night. But for me, uh, the, the concept of praying day and night is... Uh, are we walking in the presence of God? We might be doing computer programming, but with this sense that God's looking over our shoulders, we're not necessarily articulating verbs because nobody can double task. Uh, so, I, But I have developed over the years that sense that the Lord is always with me, and it colors everything that I do. And it was is Brother it? Lawrence's book, Practicing the Presence, that got me started many, many years ago. And there's some other good books out there, including John Owen's um, Developing Communion with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Fantastic treatise. And he practiced it. Uh, and... Um, uh, he, he said he could even sense the difference of his fellowship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But he was an egghead par excellence, and yet his personal life and devotional life with the Lord was unbelievable. Well, you know, I think there's a lot of people who, even people who are not <clears throat> confessedly reconstructionists or may not have a, a comprehensive biblical worldview of what it means of, to, to be of the kingdom of Christ, who are who nevertheless have 
established some pretty good personal disciplines of quiet time and prayer and scripture memory. And the question is, is what do they do with that? Right, right. Uh, and, and, but I'm thinking in terms of as we want to advance Christ's kingdom, I mean, I, 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 there's the, the spiritual navel-gazing part. That's where we're basically self-examination. And, 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 and in that respect, I think um, when I was given the Valley of Vision, that was a great boon to me. I call that my go-to weapon. That's, my, my, that's like my uh, jumper cables when my battery is dead sure. or on a cold morning I need to start. Yep. Uh, I, if I go, and, and I don't do it <laughs> every day, but... Um, yeah. When I go to the Valley of Vision as as, as a precursor, oftentimes it, it I may not be able to get really energized or or about uh, you know Bible reading. If I go in prayer, use right. the Valley of Vision right. as a tool first. Well, reading, reading but, prayers but, is an okay. Thing. Phil has a booklet uh, called "In Our Prayer." It, it traces For you those through who 12 different kinds time. of prayer and models some prayers that you can read to get you jump-started on doing it yourself. Mm-hmm. In well, fact, it, I think that... Um, um, well, I think Jason... No, it's... Wasn't, Nathan, Nathan Conkey has uh, read it out loud. Yes, uh, yeah, I know he's been. Nathan has been doing your biblical <laughs> blueprints uh, in the audiobook series. Uh, and of course, if you pray like the, if you pray, funny thing is, if you read the Puritans and especially read Puritan prayers, you start to pray. There's a different sense, but specifically, I think what we were talking about is <clears throat> is not just praising God together, because, uh, but intercessory prayer. And the nature of it, and how it really functions, and I think there's a, I, I really do believe that if there is a, a seed of unbelief that rises up in people from time to time, it has to do with the nature and the purpose of intercessory prayer. You think, and I've got this situation, our person I'm praying for, and sometimes you think, you're asking, you're like talking to yourself. God, you're sovereign. I believe that. What in the world am I doing here? I mean, how in the world is this effective? You're going to do what you're going to do, whether I do it or not. And and to to properly understand that God has decreed prayer as a means, a vital means whereby he affects his divine decrees, his eternal decrees. You have not. Because because you you have not. But as we put ourselves in the place of blessing, where we start, we feel like we can't even pray in faith, but we exercise the disciplines and ask the Holy Spirit to pray and intercede from within us, um, then at least there is opportunities for us to be praying in the Spirit. Uh, I don't always pray in the Spirit, honestly, and I don't always pray in faith, but I try to have the discipline every day of praying and throughout the day of praying, and there are times where y- y- you can tell the difference, where the, the prayer, I'm, I feel like I'm seated with Christ in the heavenlies, and I'm praying with authority that I did not otherwise have, and I'm praying in the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, but whether that happens or not is immaterial. I go through the disciplines of prayer. Well, you know, it's, you said something interesting there. You said, I don't always pray in the Spirit. And the question is, is well, how do you know? In other words, what is it? What is it like? What is prayer in the spirit like? Feel like? Sound like? 
look like as opposed to not praying in the Spirit. I, I used to say um, <clears throat> every one of us have had a dalliance. We've danced with the charismatic movement, the gifts of the Spirit, so-called, in our, in, our, in our journey. And I can remember there was a phase in my life where I was going to this big charismatic uh, fellowship, and they had a morning prayer meeting uh, like at 6 in the morning, and it would run until about 8 or 9. P- people would drift off as they had to go to work. And I would get there about 6 o'clock, and, and the, the only problem is, is that everybody was praying in an unknown language. So it, it went really fast. Uh, I mean, sometimes it would seem like the two hours would go by in five minutes. And I, I felt certain that I prayed. The only problem is I didn't know who I'd prayed for or what I'd prayed for them. And so I, that's a question. Is Okay, what do we make of this? prayer language, these these references to prayer in the spirit and our mm. the dreaded T word Right. And there's different definitions of praying in the spirit. And I don't personally see that as the the, the tongues aspect that the Lord did. Um, um, what, one of the most remarkable experiences that has happened a number of times scared me the first time it happened is waking up in the middle of the night with this intense it's almost like giving birth it felt like and I don't know what giving birth feels like but that's the only thing I could liken it to and I talked to some of my charismatic friends and they said well that's travailing in the spirit but it's like this inner urge and pushing is just like intense and I had to keep praying and praying and praying until I felt a release and like it was answered and I, there was a faith and it was answered but um, that would be on the extreme of what I have experienced. But there's other times where I just feel led by the Spirit to be praying for such, such and such. And I have these inward burdens to pray. And um, Well, when you're driving down the road or right. about an, uh, an ordinary task, and out of the blue, you're thinking about someone right. that you don't, I mean, it was not in your train of thought. It just popped in there. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's an impulse, and I think that's a God-ordained impulse. That when, Generally, that's what I take it as for myself, is that right. when, when someone comes to mind, uh, pray for them. Sure. And, and, of course, it helps if you <clears throat> know what they're going through. Are they, you've right. spoken with them. And sometimes I'll call them and say, hey, what's going on? I, I, the Lord's bringing you to mind and, yeah. and, and so forth. And, and You've probably been woken up with an urge to pray. I don't, I probably only, I sleep about five or six hours a day. Right. So I'm, usually when I'm asleep, I'm, right. I, I, you know, I have a little maybe sip of bourbon before I go to bed, you know, just kind of, and then I sleep I mean, I'm like the sleep of the dead. It's yeah. and then uh, yeah. and I get up, I'm ready to go again. Right. So, but I, I so I've often wondered. And, and now, if I wake up in the middle of the night, uh, some of my spiritual struggling with thoughts, mm-hmm. images out of my past, sure, sure, uh, vivid depictions of of of, of uh, things that I ought not to be right. thought or spoken, uh, they come in the night. Okay. Yeah. And when I wake up in the night to do what nature demands that I do, mm-hmm. uh, those are those are sometimes I have to be on my guard. Right. Because I can be. I mean, that's a little. Maybe that's a little bit too close for comfort for some people. But that's you know, oftentimes when I'm tired, or when I'm off guard, 
and, and sort of in a semi-conscious sort of awakeness, uh, I'm more vulnerable to spiritual attack and temptation uh, as a man my, right. for myself. And so uh, oftentimes at those times I'll, I'll click I'll click the light on and just keep you know read a passage of scripture or, or, or you know um, another thing I I, I know that uh, and I've written a number of hymns and songs and uh, you know the funny thing is too is I tell people I wasn't I wasn't uh, converted by my own preaching but I'm often convicted by it mm, yeah. and so uh, I think Spurgeon said that but. Uh, and, and so sometimes reading my own words in my own diaries and my own sure. it yeah. convicts me because those were some lucid moments where I was communicating on paper some clear spiritual truths for my own self uh, ex- exhortation. And, and right. so I may not be that lucid at that moment, but I go back to that and I, and I get a burst of light and it's sort of like, Right. Puts things so, but but the idea of praying together and 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 Peter Hammond liked to ask what happened to the prayer meetings and you we, you hear the annals of revival history where they had all night or extended prayer meetings or or Doug and Barbara talking about IHOP where they were praying twenty four hours a day for an extended period of several years. Mm-hmm. Okay, what happens with that? Uh, you do get the impression that in other parts of the world. We were talking the other day um, about you know Korea, where yes. large public prayer gatherings yes. are very common, and presumably in other parts of the world, very uh, yeah. not so much here in the United States. We tend to we tend to think we tend to think that our scholar, you know, <clears throat> uh, you, you know, scholar, you need water and you need gas, but you can't run an engine on water. And, and so scholarship and Bible reading, and there might, this might even be a, you say, well, who needs an exhortation like this? Don't read your Bible when you should be praying. Right. right. Don't confuse the, the solution to one thing for the solution for another thing. Well, I'm praying all the way through reading books and all the way through preparing for the sermon. Lord, make this an anointed sermon. For prayer for me is part and parcel of everything that I do. And we've got people in the church the same way they they say that uh, you know they lose a tool and they're working on something lord where did i put that tool i mean god's just the most natural part of their conversation and uh, oh thank you lord and yes. they lord helps them find that tool um if god is something that we add on in the morning or in the evening uh we've really not mastered what it means to be in constant prayer Constant prayer does not mean there's words necessarily coming out, but it's this awareness that God's a part of everything that we're doing, and his smile of approval or his frown is upon what we're doing. Well, in that respect, it's very much like worship, <clears throat> talking to Martin Salbrady, that every every drop of sweat that comes from a man's brow is, is worship, is an act of worship if he's working as unto the Lord. As unto the Lord. Amen. And, uh, and, and so that... Um, Corporate prayer and, and worship and celebration and thanksgiving as may as maybe the the norm on the Lord's Day. Uh, oftentimes the intercessory prayer is given very. I mean, in many liturgies is given very short shrift. I mean, you know, there's a and 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 the thing that gets me in in, in the in the liturgy of many reformed bodies is that it's a one man show. It's like the pastor's doing all the praying, and uh, 
and there's not a time for corporate intercession where people are able to extemporary just jump in where you right. where you can find a spot and if two people start at the same time one of them will and it's interesting he didn't say my house shall be called a house of preaching it is but he said my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations right house of prayer it, our church is really a house yes. of prayer yeah and uh, prayer is so important now you mentioned the whole thing of um uh, our thought life. I struggled with that day and night when I first went to Bible school, and it just drove me crazy. I could not get rid of these thoughts, immoral thoughts. And I went to a pastor, and he said, "Oh, Phil, you're doing it all wrong." He said, "You gotta, you you can't uh, operate on a vacuum, so you gotta replace something. You put off, you put on. So there's gotta be." Uh, the memorized scripture and meditation on those scriptures. Secondly, he said, this seems to be uh, demonic. And when demons tempted Christ, when Satan tempted Christ, he always, he, he had the full authority as the Son of God to resist him. But he always modeled to us how to do it. He resisted with the Word of God. Get behind me, Satan. Uh, and then he would quote the scripture. And uh, he said, you need to do that out loud. Satan can't read your mind, so do it out loud. And then he said, thirdly, meditation is a powerful tool for transforming mind and spirit. And um, initially, it actually got worse. And he said, don't worry about it when it gets worse, because Satan will look for weak holes. But the, the process of meditation on opposite scriptures um, completely transformed my mind during the day and even at night. Even in my dream life, I was resisting Satan using these scriptures. And it's, uh, I wrote a little paper for a friend of mine on the whole subject of purity of thought that has hugely helped a number of people to gain complete victory, purity of thought, day and night. And it might be something your readers even are interested in. It's um, names are crossed out. It was a letter but like a 50-page letter that gives resources and everything. Um, but that is something that many, many people struggle with. Well, the one thing, uh, having uh, been a casualty of many of these such spiritual battles, is the lamp of the body is the eye. Right. If your eye remains clear, your whole body will be full of light, Christ said. Uh, in terms of there's not going to be any victory in your thought life if you don't keep your eyes Amen. closed, if you don't keep your eyes clear, uh, if you continue to feed it yep. with images, you're not going to ever. Um, yep. But um, And getting control of curiosity. You know, the Bible says the eye never has enough of looking. And so it doesn't even have to be immoral things. Uh, we need to always know where our eyes are at at any, any given moment. And... Uh, have disciplines, disciplines of eyes, disciplines of thinking, disciplines of actions, disciplines of uh, spiritual um, prayer, fasting, all of these things. Yeah. I can't imagine how it affects our, our sisters, or for that matter, you know, even married brothers who've been, you know, um, married to the same woman all their life, and right. and and, sh and and that and, and there's some total of of uh, intimate experiences is with their their right. their spouse, right. and that's a wonderful that's a wonderful. Uh, That'd be a wonderful position to operate from. It's certainly not my position. It's not my starting point. Sure. sure. But um, but the, so the question of how do we, if we believe that unless the Lord builds the house, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we labor in vain, then that would seem to suggest that would see, come here. That would seem to suggest that 
intercessory prayer. His. Hey, come here. You're, you're, how, how can I how can I have podcasting excellence with you? Your intrusions. That's my that's my road dog. Beautiful dog. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, uh, of course, and we use him in a great evangelistic tool. Yeah, yeah. Dog evangelism. Uh, Immediate conversations being generated. We we do. Yeah, we do. And I ask people, are your dogs going to heaven? <laughs> and they always say, well, I don't know. Don't all dogs go to heaven? I said, well, they may, but all dog owners sure don't. <laughs> and mine go where I go, so you know, you yeah. might want to you might want to you know make sure, but <clears throat> if you care about your dog, uh, but uh, the question of how much prayer. How we do it, doing it together, and the and the benefit, the benefit of hearing each other praying. Right. You know, we used to have what we called in the navs. We used to call it the holy grunt. You know, you're praying with someone. Yeah. You just did it there a little bit. You said, okay. mm. Mm. Yeah. you know, it's like you're moved in your spirit, and you're you're like you're in agreement. Right. It's like before you say amen, or people will even say amen, but you know when you're saying, you think, boy, that resonates with me. I get that. That yes, Lord, and 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 none of us see the problems from the same vantage point, and none of us will necessarily apply the same promise, our passage of scripture to that. Right. And right. and you can't pray what you don't know, and so you say. I said, man, what you prayed, that was really good. And I said, well, that's, yeah, that's from Zephaniah. He said, man, I need, I never remember. So if he didn't know it, he can't use it. And so, right. oh, man, I got to write that down. So he's adding a verse. I got to memorize that verse yeah. so I have it at the ready. Amen. Well, you know, each of the men in our congregation takes turns praying and in our church. And they have learned to pray the scriptures in ways that just draw my heart out to the Lord. I just love hearing our men pray. Yeah, I think our women love hearing our men I, pray. Um, several years ago, I started a women's prayer group called, we call it WIN, Women's Intercessory Network. And we we actually pray for uh, the persecuted church. We pray for the big, you know, kind of the big stuff, um, not just all the little stuff. Um, um, and so we are taking the persecuted church, um, you know, the politics of our nation, um, all of these big things before the court of heaven, and they're praying the scriptures, and I love praying with them. We, and we want to win these battles in the courtroom of heaven. And so, they're keeping track of it. And we kind of, we follow cases, like we've been following Asia Bibi in um, Pakistan and praying for her and for her nation. Um, and we follow, we like to pray for the righteous leaders of our nation, that God would uphold them and protect them. And we also pray. Which ones are that? <laughs> oh, we definitely we, we have. Some we've got some wonderful. people in government, yes. Um, and then we pray against the, the, the wicked and ben unrighteous rulers, that God would take them down and destroy them. Don't you them. love to listen to a person who knows how to pray in precatory psalms? Oh, yeah. And our women yes. do. Yes. Her women do. So yes. that's powerful. And, and hearing the men gather together in front of the abortion clinic, praying the war psalms of God and praying uh, from those war psalms, impromptu prayers against these murderers. Oh, yes. It's good to see men doing what men should be doing. So when I see, I, I see y'all's vitality your, and, and, and your um the tools and the strategies that you have and that are not being prosecuted for just want of hands. Sure. You just don't have enough people in the fight. 
Right. And and I see this luxurious, comfortable place here. I thought, uh, if I was a young Christian reconstructionist professional, male, and mm-hmm. and there was a young reconstructionist woman living in the Northwest. And they were hoping you could serve a, a double meet, a double purpose here, <laughs> is act as act as matchmakers. That, that a, a young Christian reconstructionist man wants to come here and get involved. He's got a profession, or he's learning a profession. He could he could uh, submit himself to your uh, training and and mentoring, and then uh, you you could ascertain his gifts and abilities, and maybe counsel him to go into this profession or that. And a young woman coming here and doing the same thing, maybe a young nurse, whatever. This would not only, not only would they become assets, hands for the fight, but also it might even be uh, in the province. We train people for the kingdom elsewhere. We had five interns here that uh, were here for four months, intensive training, 24-7. They lived here, and then they're sent back to their their churches. But there's people who move to other churches. There are people who move to Marion Lovett's church in Tennessee or to... Uh, Matt Clark's church in South Carolina. Fantastic things going on there. There are people who have moved here. I'm going to get those names before I leave, by the okay. way. Yeah, oh, they're great, man. you got to get to know them. And um, we so, have the Dykstra family that moved five hours down here yes. just so that they could be part of a vibrant uh, Christian fellowship. Part of the long-term. And it was hard because they were yeah. generational farming up there. Yeah, part, part of the long-term um, vision of relocating is getting into a community where you're children have future spouse potentials. And so the Dykstra family moved from um, up uh, northeast Iowa, northwest Iowa, down here, and in God's amazing providence, and they gave up a lot to move they, down here. It was here. a big sacrifice. They gave up a family farm um, to move down here, but we gained two son-in-laws out of it. <laughs> yeah, we married into their family. We married into Amen. one of the two. <laughs> and really appreciate you opening up your home and your hospitality to me and, and Ruger. You did ask for one last word, though, right? Yes. And one last word is don't get discouraged when you see people who are so advanced of you in anything. Prayer, uh, worldview, reading, whatever. Uh, tell people, don't get discouraged. Just continue to be faithful, and you will continue to grow. When I look at how pitiful my worldview was back in the early tw- my early 20s, uh, I had a hard time getting through, uh, you know, I was Guinness's book. Five years later, I read that book. It was a piece of cake. Why? Because I kept reading, kept reading. And it's like your mind, your brain begins to expand its ability to uh, comprehend these things. Your prayer life keeps growing as you practice it. So don't get discouraged. Just continue to be faithful where you're at. And it's never too, and it's never too late, is it? It's never too late. And I think when you're young, you have this idea of you're going to conquer the, the whole world all by yourself. But the older you get, the more you appreciate that you're just one little piece of the puzzle and that God is, I'm a musician, so I understand this um, orchestra perspective. And, you know, God is the conductor of this huge army of God. Mm -hmm. And I just have to play my little instrument to the best of my ability. Mm -hmm. And if everybody plays their instrument to the very best of their ability, Mm -hmm. and God is the master conductor of the whole thing, there's just a lot of freedom and, and joy and not so much pressure. And and the idea that this is a multi-generational endeavor, it will not happen in our lifetime. It will may not even happen in 10 generations, right. but it will happen. Amen. And we want to get to the end and God say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. 
the job that I gave you to do, you did a good job. You didn't do somebody else's job, mm -hmm. and you didn't do your job less than you should have. The assignment I gave to you, you did a good job. That's what we want to hear. Why don't we end this War Room episode in something we don't normally do, but let's just pray. Amen. Let's do it. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be a part of your global conquest. Mm. And we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, to be our prophet, priest, and king. How beautiful he is to us, Lord. He is like, he is like a bridegroom to the bride. And Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who applies to us the merits of his saving obedience and fashions our prayers into powerful petitions according to your will. And you as the judge of all the earth rule on behalf of your people according to your promises. Father, we pray that you would defeat your enemies, that you would make fools of those who hate you. Lord, we pray that you would support and give strength to the broken and weak-hearted among us, and we, and, we, and we pray that you would teach us and, and grow us up in the discipline of fervent, persistent, intelligent intercession, Lord, knowing that you command it and that uh, um, use this property for your glory to extend your kingdom, to be a blessing to your people, to equip the saints. And we thank you, God, for this time that we've been able to spend together. Yes, Father, uh, we thank you that of uh, your promise that of the increase of Christ's kingdom and of peace there will be no end. And I pray that you would stir up the hearts of people all over the states to really believe that that is true, that uh, our labors in the Lord are not in vain, that they would not grow discouraged or disheartened in the things that they are doing, uh, but that they would believe Galatians 6 when it promises that uh, we will uh, receive a harvest if we do not grow weary or give up. And I pray that there would be a mighty harvest from uh, all of the networked podcasts uh, that are networked with Reconstructionist Radio. I pray that you would uh, bless them uh, with not only increased knowledge in the hearts of people, but increased activity, increased prayer, increased faith in what you were accomplishing in history. Uh, we know that uh, you uh, turned Nineveh upside down in one day through the preaching of one man. Uh, what can you do with an army of men? And he was reluctant. <laughs> Father, help us not to be reluctant uh, preachers of your truth, but to proclaim it in every sphere of life to which you've given us responsibility. Help us not to covet the gifts of other people and the abilities of other people, to, but to be faithful with that which you've entrusted to us, knowing, again, that our labors in the Lord are not in vain. Uh, you changed a nation through a little maid's testimony uh, that was just a wish, oh, that uh, I, uh, my master could see uh, the prophet who was in Israel. And I pray, Father, that uh, even the O's of our hearts would bleed over into influence in the lives of unbelievers uh, as they see uh, the, the power of the gospel and as they become jealous of the fruits of the gospel. May there be what Romans 11 speaks of as that jealousy spreading amongst the ranks as they see the beauty of your kingdom being described and being articulated. We just pray for a growth of your kingdom, even in our day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us in the war room. Please enjoy The Nation's Rage, Psalm 2, by my soul among lions. 